we're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. That is the voice of a very emotional L.A. Clippers coach, Doc Rivers, last week talking about the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. This country is in the middle of perhaps the most tumultuous reckoning in our lifetimes. The coronavirus pandemic has laid bare the systemic oppression of communities of color, specifically the ways that black Americans endure a disproportionate amount of barbaric violence and brutality at the hands of law enforcement. Last week, we saw the revival of a movement among professional athletes who are now using their platforms to protest and bring awareness to the gravity of this violence against African Americans throughout the country. Thinking back just four years ago to the way that NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick was treated when he famously knelt during the national anthem to signify his stance on this issue, the collective consciousness really seems to have changed. Instead of allowing a narrative of white supremacy to continue to perpetuate this damaging shut-up-and-play ethos among pro athletes, we're now seeing a major shift towards some powerful solidarity. Last Wednesday, pro sports leagues, including the NBA, the WNBA, Major League Soccer, and Major League Baseball, all said, enough, and their games came to a halt. Here to talk with us about the significance of this moment for pro athletes and all of America is someone who spends a lot of time thinking about these things. Kevin Blackstone is an ESPN panelist. He is a visiting professor at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland and a sports columnist for The Washington Post. Kevin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with uh, what we saw last week for those who aren't in the loop, uh, what happened uh, among the sports leagues in this country last week? We saw almost everything grind to a halt. Yeah, the um, Milwaukee Bucks uh, were playing a playoff game in the NBA bubble, um, which is the pandemic-era uh, arena down in Florida, um, in Orlando, Um where the NBA is uh, trying to continue and complete its um, season that was interrupted back in March by, by COVID. And uh, that afternoon, um, it was a, a middle-afternoon game, um, the Milwaukee Bucks never came out of the, uh, out of the uh, locker room and onto the court. And uh, after a while, it was, it was evident that they um, were not going to play the game. And uh, that began to ripple throughout the NBA, um, uh, um, Major League Soccer, uh, Major League Baseball, um, the WNBA. And what they were doing was uh, they they were fed up, as you suggested. They were fed up that that once again, um, in their state, home state of Wisconsin, um, uh, there had been a... um, an incident of extreme uh, police brutality uh, against a black man, this time being being Jacob Blake. 
and uh, they wanted to make a they wanted to make a stand uh, and bring attention to it, and uh, really I think just grab America by the by the neck and try and shake some sense into it. Mm. And we had really never seen something quite like that. Um, yeah. There have been there have been games that have been shut down before by by boycott. There have been many instances of protest um, within sports uh, for for many many years. Um, we'd never seen anything where several leagues um, saw several of their games um, shut down uh, out of the fact that players were protesting against racial, racial injustice um, off the playing field. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty unique. So, so one of the things that really struck me last week was the involvement of Major League Baseball. And uh, part of the reason for that is that this is a sport where there aren't that many African-American players. There are, of course, black players in, in baseball, but most of them uh, are from other countries at this point. And for uh, the size of the demonstrations, I guess, and the number of teams involved from MLB, it, it, it really caught me by, by surprise. Well, you know, um, we can't dismiss players of color who are, um, who are descendants of enslaved Africans in uh, this hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, you know, don't dismiss their, their consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was, I was talking to Carlos Delgado, who, who was a Puerto Rican and uh, who famously stopped standing for the national anthem, uh, or actually for God Bless America, um, during the seventh inning stretch to protest um, the U.S. military's continued use of, of Vieques Island off the coast of Puerto Rico mm-hmm. um, as a military insta- installation and as a target for bombing. Um, Roberto Clemente uh, very famously, or maybe not so famously, mm. um, in 1968, uh, in the wake of the assassination of Martin Luther King, really convinced um, baseball to... Uh, to postpone its opening day uh, out of respect for uh, Dr. King and out of um, out of anger uh, that his life was cut short. Um, so there is a consciousness, I think, among players of color um, in in Major League Baseball, and of course, Major League Baseball has been trying to to reckon with its own um, racial insensitivities. Uh, you know, sure. whitewashing the entire um, segregation segregationist history uh, of baseball that made Jackie Robinson a story in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it, it it too was it, it too was um, shaken, and there are a number of a number of uh, uh, of black players from the states on a number of teams um, who I think made a made a point um, to, to Major League Baseball to do something. Yeah. I wonder if you can talk about what's at stake for pro athletes in this era when they do things like this. Of course, as we were talking about, athletes have throughout our history taken stands on social issues or mm-hmm. on uh, or on political issues, uh, and there have been you know varying responses of the American public and of fans to the to those stances. I wonder what you think the response is 
like now and whether they are taking a bigger risk uh, with their with their careers and their professional status yeah. Uh, yeah. or less yeah there's always been this there's always been this idea that um, af- professional athletes have a lot to lose if they um, stand up for something they believe in that has nothing to do with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that they will lose endorsements, that their teams may cut them loose, um, that they may be out of the street, out on the street. Um, but one thing that is that is different now, um, or or different in this moment, I should say, than before. And I was just talking to a college football player um, last night, um, who was very troubled by some things going on in his team, and he 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 called me to to, to share it with me. The difference now is you have collective activity. Um, you have a collective movement. And it is, um, there, there is comfort for those who are uncomfortable um, uh, with a situation when you have brothers and sisters who lock arms with you um, in, in your struggle. And so you're, you're much more likely to, uh, to uh, stand up on your feet and stick your chest out and share your thoughts and your emotions with those who need to hear. And I think that's a, um, you know, that's, that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. I often ask people since, since everyone's reference point is, is Colin Kaepernick. Um, uh, and, and so many people, uh, who, you know, I've talked to, um, have been in support of Colin Kaepernick, but I would always ask people if you were in a stadium of 65,000 people, mm-hmm and the national anthem starts playing and you want to protest against police lethality against black men in this country, um, how comfortable are you taking a knee? And, you know, most people are not going to do that because they feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they worry about retribution <laughs> uh, in the stands. Sure. So it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but uh, when, when you do it in mass, when you do it as a group, um, I think you you have some comfort in that, and so I think that's and it also makes the message a lot stronger. Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's really remarkable. I think to to contemplate what happened to Colin Kaepernick. This is only four years ago at this yep. point that he basically lost his career uh, for. Stay, you know, refusing to stand during the the anthem to draw attention to this very subject, the very subject that now sees uh, entire leagues saying we are not going to play until uh, until this until this is fixed. I mean, it's at once a, a testament to the power of the statement that he was making and the, the relevance of the statement that he was making, but also. It, it, it shows how quickly things have changed, I guess, on this issue. The, I, I, I can't imagine that anyone today would run into the same kind of trouble that Colin Kaepernick did in, in 2016. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, it always takes, you know, uh, one person maybe or a couple of people to, um, to start a movement. And uh, Colin Kaepernick certainly, uh, you know, he, he certainly did. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of players back to your previous point, you know, there, there was not really that much support for, for what Colin Kaepernick did, um, uh, when, when he first did it. 
Um, you know, you could count the number of players on your hands, uh, on your hands and toes, who actually uh, imitated his protest. Um, but um, uh, yeah, that was then, and this is now, and it's a much different, um, you know, it's a much different climate. And I also should point out, you know, it's, it's, it's often overlooked that before Colin Kaepernick took a knee against police lethality, um, women in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly at the Minnesota Lynx, stood up and protested against um, the killing of Philando Castile um, in Minnesota um, and Alton Sterling down in Louisiana. Um, And the NBA, which has this reputation as being the most progressive of sports leagues, um, which owns the NBA, Mm -hmm. uh, their reaction to those women at first was to find them and um, order them not to do that again. It wasn't until there was a little blowback uh, via the media um, that they rescinded the fine and basically said that uh, uh, that the women had committed a uniform violation. Hmm. So um, uh, yeah, times have you know times have, have definitely definitely changed and. And I, and I laugh because I guess I started writing the sports column back in the early 90s, 91, something like that. And um, over the years, I had written about the, um, the use of the national anthem within sports as a political statement mm-hmm. that probably need not be there. And the, the trouble that I had with it um, for a number of other reasons as well. And fast forward to, to now 2020 and people are, are are coming to an understanding about that. Yeah. So a lot of things have changed over the years with, with this issue. Yeah. I'm talking with Kevin Blackestone. He is an ESPN panelist and visiting professor at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland, writes a sports column for the Washington Post. We're talking about pro athletes and their voices in the current Black Lives Matter protests against police brutality and systemic racism. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what do you think of this move by pro athletes. We saw a number of different leagues grind to a halt last week in protest of what happened to Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, what kind of message do you think this sends? Does this make you proud of these athletes? Does it maybe make you disappointed in these athletes? Uh, Do you think players should stick to sports and keep politics and social issues out of it? Or do you think that one of the responsibilities that comes with the popularity and fame of being a professional athlete is to speak your mind and stand up for what's right. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into our conversation. Let's start with Billy in Gross Point Park. Billy, what's on your mind? Hello. Hey. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman, just mm-hmm. throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Love him so much. What a what a hero for uh, Americans. Mm-hmm. I just want to say Americans, yeah. regardless of color of skin. But uh, also, uh, you know, with uh, Jackie Robinson, you know, Chadwick played Jackie Robinson. What mm-hmm. a what a wonderful hero of Americans once again. 
and uh, he had Branch Rickey, uh, which I don't think is necessary anymore. That's what Colin Kaepernick did. He doesn't need a Branch Rickey. He just stepped out and said, I don't need that anymore. Mm. I am truly an American. If you don't understand this, then then maybe you don't understand America. You know, like this is what we need more and more of is people to understand that we are here together on purpose, mm. on a great purpose. It should not fail because of what color we are. It, it should not matter. So, it so is, Billy, that's a really interesting contrast between the relationship between Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson, which brings uh, Jackie Robinson to uh, the Dodgers, to Major League Baseball as the first African-American player to really break that color barrier, uh, and that it's this sort of joint effort of the two of them uh, to make that happen, uh, and, and the sort of flip side of that coin, which is Colin Kaepernick in 2016 you know, kneeling for the anthem all by himself, deciding to do that all on his own, and not getting the support of uh, of the owners of his team or of the league, uh, and also you know just incurring an incredible backlash, which of course Jackie Robinson did too. Uh, Kevin Blackstone, I wonder what you make of that that contrast, the 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 lack of allyship in mm-hmm. the in the case of Colin Kaepernick. Well, you know, the media in this country are very selective in terms of black people in general Mm -hmm. and black athletes in particular that they like to um, embrace and celebrate. And so I often tell people that the Jackie Robinson that is celebrated in this country is not the Jackie Robinson that I celebrate. Now, the Jackie Robinson I celebrate was Mm -hmm. the Jackie Robinson in 1944 Mm -hmm. who was in the military in Texas um, who refused to relinquish his seat under orders from another officer that Jackie Robinson was breaking the Jim Crow law on the bus. Uh, Jackie Robinson knew the law. <clears throat> he refused. He cursed out the officer. Uh, and he wound up having to go to a, through a court martial, mm-hmm. um, which uh, exonerated him. So the Jackie Robinson I celebrate is the, is the, the militant Jackie Robinson, um, not the one who excel, accepted um, self-emasculation right. uh, in, in order to play, um, play a baseball game. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, you fast forward to Colin Kaepernick and you see the wrath that, uh, that came down on him. And again, I remind people that if you read Jackie Robinson's uh, autobiography, I never had it made. He, he says in that autobiography the America that he matured in was not an America that he could any longer stand for the national anthem for. Yeah. People overlooked that. So um, Jackie Robinson was, you know, he was, he was celebrated. He, he could have been, he could have been a Colin Kaepernick, but he was celebrated for not doing so and for taking the abuse that this country um, um, threw at him. Uh, Colin Kaepernick um, refused to take that abuse, and he dared uh, the league and the teams and this country to spit him out. Yeah, um, and and they did. And so, you know, they could very well have been 
very well have been, oddly enough, the same person. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a really interesting comparison. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about sports activism in this moment. We're going to continue to hear from you as well. Mark and Redford, Dan in Detroit, we'll get to your calls. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Kevin Blackestone, an ESPN panelist and Washington Post columnist who also is a visiting professor at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland. We're talking about sports activism as we are witnessing it right now in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement against systemic racism and police brutality. We want to hear from you as well. What do you think about what these athletes are doing and saying? Uh, Does it help you sort of uh, support the movement? Uh, Or do you feel like uh, it's opportunism on on the part of these athletes. Give us a call and let us know how you react uh, when you see these things. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. Let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call, Stephen. Sure. I was uh, calling in just to share how proud I am of athletes getting together and, and speaking up against systemic racism. To me, that makes me more excited to support, uh, support my hometown teams. I also have a brother who plays college football for the university at Buffalo, and he's from the Detroit area. And uh, to hear the conversations that his team are having, um, you know, the, the sports team is incredibly diverse, but the fans are often not. And so I think about, like, the representation that um, teams have this ability to bring issues Mm. forward. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, just really proud of the Lions for coming together and uh, putting a message out there. But quite frankly, horrified to read the comment section of any of these posts that the Lions put (laughs) out there because it's quite disgusting. And, And I just it's hard to grapple with that. I'm proud of the lions, but then I'm extremely disappointed with the Facebook comments that come out of the fan base. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, Dan, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And I of course see those comments as, as well. Uh, Kevin Blackestone, you know, the, the, the sports leagues and the NFL, I think in particular mm-hmm. in the last few years has really struggled with, uh, I think the reconciling, a large part of its fan base with the large number of its players and and the the, the different interests that are represented there. I mean, I, I, I have heard people say things like they think football is too black uh, in terms of the way that the, the players express themselves and, and, mm-hmm. and do things. Uh, and that comes from, you know, fans, people who like the game, uh, but don't like the players. Uh, it, it seems to me that this is something that could that could exacerbate that that dynamic this fall. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's an interesting relationship between um, sports that are predominantly uh, black, uh, basketball and football, and the fans in the stands um, in the cities who support them, many of whom um, are black as well, but um, maybe the majority of whom are not. And this issue has kind of um, pulled back the, the the curtain on their real feelings about these players, and there's a you know there's a sense of you know, there's a sense of ownership, right? There's a sense that you know this is a game you play it to entertain us. Um, how dare you interject uh, your real feelings um, uh, into our um, moment of distraction mm-hmm. from whatever else is is going on in the world, and that's you know, and that's that's long been that's long been a case, but it's it's never it's maybe never been laid more bare than it is um, that it is right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, one other thing I would say is I I would think that I would like to think that um, seeing athletes um, mature um, politically and actively and democratically um, should be a lesson for you know the rest of this country. Mm. You know, people forget that that in in the in the Western world, um, in, in the democratic developed world, um, you know, participation in, in politics is measured by voting. Um, you know, is 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 very low in this country compared to other countries. Sure. And so, you know, maybe we can all take a lesson from athletes to become. Uh, more politically involved in in our own communities, um, in our own regions, in our states, and and, and across the country, yeah. um, I, I think that's a positive lesson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Mark in Redford. Mark, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, hey. Kevin. Hey. Uh, the historical precedent I was thinking of was uh, Kurt Flood, who back in the 1960s refused mm-hmm. to trade to the um, Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. Yep, he had he had then played for the St. Louis Cardinals, and while there's no asterisk next to his name in Baseball Reference, um, he put the asterisk there on behalf of uh, civil rights, and I think he stepped forward for the game as a precedent for others. Yeah, Kurt Flood, the father of free agency in uh, in, in Major League Baseball, uh, Kevin Blackstone. Right. That's another great example of. Somebody just saying, "Look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. I, I need to, I need to do this in a way that that I think is just, and I'm not asking your permission." Absolutely, and and Kurt Flood, um, uh, even if Kurt Flood had batted 200, had one home run, no stolen bases, uh, on that alone, uh, he should be in the he should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right, um, and 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 he's not. Um, even though he has the statistical um, numbers to back him to back him up, and I'm kind of on a campaign uh, to get him into um, to get him into Cooperstown, mm-hmm. um, uh, he he can only get in now by vote of the um, I think of this I think they call it the Golden Age um, oh, Committee. Really? Wow. Yeah, um, whose vote has been um, just recently got postponed for this year. So. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure now to get to get him recognized for what he did. I mean, he sacrificed his career. Um, you know, he stood up for what was a what was a labor issue. Um, you know, not just in baseball, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a labor issue. Yeah. Um, just like we we saw with the uh, athletes last week. You know, they that was a strike. 
Um, that was a some people have called it a wildcat strike. I don't think I'll go that far, but it was a it was a it was a strike of labor mm-hmm. um, against uh, issues of import to them that that are, are life and death issues for people that that look like them. And so I think, <clears throat> yeah, I think people like Kirk Flood, um, you know, should be uh, their stories should be remembered. Um, they should be highlighted. They should be uh, celebrated um, and and really understood. And he's he's definitely a person that deserves a, a space in um, Cooperstown. In Cooperstown, sure. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly go to Melanie in Gross Point Woods. Melanie, I've got about a minute left, but I want to get your comment in here. Oh, I just want to be real quick. Uh-huh. I fully support, um, you know, Kaepernick from the very beginning. My, my point, though, that I want to make is, the the national anthem in a base and all sports is political anyway. Mm-hmm. It's private yep. business. The national anthem is not demanded of every worker the minute they walk into their office. Yeah, that's right. You know, we politicized um, the the those sports. That's a private business. Yeah. And um, Melanie, you know, I, I I have said before that if 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 any of us showed up at work and our boss said. Hey, uh, today we're gonna we're gonna do the pledge of allegiance, or we're gonna have uh, singing of the national anthem. We would all say, "Well, no, I don't want to do that. It's not that's not part of work." But these professional athletes are told that they have to do it. Uh, Kevin Blackstone, I've got about thirty seconds left, but I think that's a great point. Yeah, it is. You know, the whole reason the Star Spangled Banner is in baseball at all or in sports at all is because of 1917 mm-hmm. and um, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Woodrow Wilson wanted support for uh, American involvement in World War One, and uh, he decreed that any uh, aggregation of a military band in any public setting would play this song, which was not at the time the national anthem it was just a Star Spangled Banner. Right. And that's exactly how it started. It started because of a political reason, and now you have athletes who understand that and have used it as a backdrop for their own protest. Yeah. Okay, Kevin Blackestone, great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. That is going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow for a look ahead to November here in Detroit. Is the city ready for this upcoming election and the reliance on mail-in ballots? This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.